Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. Welcome to Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. This is Dr. Dan. Freedom Forum Radio is for you, faithful listeners, no matter who you voted for or what political party you belong to. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is not about politics. It's about principle. It's not about candidates. It's about conscience and the Constitution. Like the name implies, this is a program about freedom, individual freedom, your freedom, where it comes from, what it means to you, and most importantly, how to hang on to it. This is part two of two of this very special interview with Dr. Tom Woods on Freedom Forum Radio. One of the things you mentioned was, was Marshall and the Supreme Court. And obviously the Supreme Court has had what I would call a pretty nefarious role when it comes to protecting the Constitution that our founders gave us. Uh, and that goes back to the fact that realistically they think that they can interpret the Constitution and decide what's constitutional and what's not. When in, a, in, a, in essence they are a party to that original agreement. Yeah. And if you give them a blank check to interpret the Constitution, you're basically giving the federal government a blank check as well. Right, and that was Jefferson's whole point in the in the Kentucky Resolutions of 1798, that if the federal government has a monopoly on interpreting its powers, it's just going to interpret the Constitution ever more expansively and discover more and more powers. Well, he just told the history of the 20th century right there in that one line. So his own view was that there should be concurrent review, that that if if a measure passes muster of all three branches, the president, the Congress, and the Supreme Court think it's constitutional, then that's one thing. But, for, but you know, it was his view, for example, that a president could say, I don't care that the Supreme Court says something's constitutional. If I think it isn't, I'm not obligated to sign it. My own judgment can be, no, they're wrong, this is unconstitutional, and I veto it. So he favored a much... A more robust safeguard, which would be all three branches. But he also believed, as Madison echoed in the report of 1800, that in the last resort, the states have to be the final arbiters. They, having been the creators of the thing, I mean, who ever heard of a situation where one person or a group of people creates something and then they let their own creation dictate back to them? I mean, the, the Frankenstein monster is not supposed to tell Dr. Frankenstein what to do. Like, that's not the natural order of things. Well, that's what we have now. And, of we, course, that is what happened in the Frankenstein, uh, so at least course. the modern version of the Frankenstein story, right. So, 
here's and you bring up an interesting point again is if the president feels that something is unconstitutional then he should if he's a moral upstanding president he should say look i don't care what you guys want to do this really is not constitutional right that's somewhat similar to the principle of jury nullification is it not are you f- yeah where where the the, jur- the jurors would say in our judgment there's something wrong with the law to start with. I mean, a jury nullification is where a jury will say, it, it can be all different. It can be, in this, we, the law is okay, but in this case, it would be a travesty of justice to apply it, or the law is itself unjust, and so we have to overrule this, or it's unconstitutional. And that's another safeguard, because, you know, I know that in our civics textbooks, we read that the people make the laws, but let's face it, behind closed doors, lawyers make the laws, and we have to live with them. So the one way that you can really have the people have some kind of input is with this tremendous negative known as jury nullification. And the thing is that the framers of the Constitution seem to have taken for granted. Now, they, didn't, they weren't all enthusiastic about it, but they all took for granted that this was a power of juries to judge not just the facts of the case, but also the law. You know, in, in colonial times when the Constitution was written, I think people were a lot more involved in their government, a lot more involved in legislation and, and in talking with the people who represented them. And of course, the people who represented them lived among them. They were not some elite class in Washington, D.C., which right. is what the Congress has evolved into and the executive branch have evolved yeah, you into. Know, initially, they wanted to limit representation. They wanted to say that there'd be one member of the House of Representatives for every 30,000 people. And then now, I mean, of course, your state rep, you could very easily know your state rep could live on your street. But even your representative in the U.S. Congress, 30,000 to one is not preposterously large. Today, it's about three-quarters of a million to one. And I bet in our lifetimes, it'll get to a million people represented by one person. How could that, by one congressman, and forget about the senators, but one, one congressman represents one million people? It is hard for people to have their voice heard in that situation. Well, you know, with the Senate, I mean, the 17th Amendment is obviously something that completely disconnected the purpose of the Senate from what the uh, the framers intended. Well, of course, if you're going to have both the Senate and the House elected by the same method, what's the point in having two different... What is this? Just, we just want another group of people elected in exactly the same way to look are, at the same... That are there even longer? Yeah, right. Like what, obviously, there was a reason they... You know, this is, there's such a lack of curiosity, unfortunately, in a lot of traditional classrooms where everybody feels superior to the, the framers or whatever. They were too stupid to know that, of course, you need popular election of senators or they were too stupid. They don't stop... The, you know, let me try and at least do them the courtesy of figuring out why they thought that way, why they thought that it would be better for the senator to be, in effect, like a representative of his state and to vote in that way, instead of the situation today where the senator flies around the country to half a dozen influential cities, raises all the money he needs, and votes any old way. I think I remember in the last election, the senator from Connecticut who was uh, defeated. I think he only got 500 bucks from the state and all the rest of his money was from around the country. How How is that an improvement? Well, and how could he represent his state? Right, right. As far as he was concerned, he is in no way uh, beholden to the state itself, which is what the framers intended. You know, we have 
in North Carolina and in certainly in many other states, we have state legislatures who are nullification deniers. They just go along with the flow and they say, no, it is not constitutional. What's the best way to approach that? Well, I have a couple of, I'll answer your question, but I also want to add that I have a couple of resources on this. I have a frequently asked questions on nullification because I found that the same questions keep coming up. So it took me two and a half years to figure out why don't you put up a frequently asked question. So I bought the domain name nullificationfaq.com. And then I also have a blog post you can Google, is, is, a, is nullification unconstitutional? And I go through and I... Now, I've got a lengthy answer, but that's not really what you need. You need something pithy. And then if you get them... Well, you know, peaked. you're talking about people who have an attention span of about five minutes. Right. If right. you're lucky. You know, I can do it in five minutes, but you can give them... Uh, but there are, there are quick ones. Now, first of all, a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times the people who will tell you that nullification is unconstitutional are people who, if you gave them a hundred years, they couldn't find anything unconstitutional. You know, like, it, it seems suspicious to me that all of a sudden... The only thing that's unconstitutional is us resisting them. Now that you can't do. However, uh, what name you know whatever the federal government does, no, there's no constitutional problem with any of those things. Well, there, are, I mean, there are a couple of, of ways of answering. I mean, one is the ratifying conventions, because remember that's the key to understanding the Constitution. Well, what do we see in Virginia's ratifying convention? We actually see a future state attorney general whose job it was to explain to America what Virginia's interpretation of the Constitution was, he said at the ratifying convention, don't worry everybody, it's a limited government, and if they try to do anything that's not listed in this document, Virginia will just be exonerated from it. Will we'll secede. Oh, they even said that they, they could secede, ultimately. Well, se secession is really, if you believe in state sovereignty... And you have to believe in that. And if you believe that the Constitution is a compact among sovereign states, yeah, it, what's wrong no, with No secession? other position makes sense. Right, you would have to believe in that. But so you see it in the ratifying conventions, but also, as you say, it's, it's implied in the fact that the United States is a group of states. Show me one shred of evidence that the United States government existed before the, the states did. Of course, it, how could it? How, how could the marriage of the bride and groom exist before the bride and groom themselves existed? Right. So obviously the states come first. If they come first and they're the sovereigns, they're still the sovereigns. That's the way sovereignty is. They still hold that power. There is no sovereignty if people can... if the federal government is able to impose on the states measures that we all know are unconstitutional and the states can't resist, then they're not sovereign. This is an absolutely necessary ingredient of sovereignty. So if you're going to talk to especially let's say, conservatives who might be inclined to believe in state sovereignty, you can talk all you want to about state sovereignty. But if sovereignty means you have the ability to make the final determination, then you're just blowing smoke if you say you believe in state sovereignty but not nullification. That's what nullification is, the exercise of sovereignty in its highest form. Just say no. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and you know what? Sometimes people say... But aren't you afraid they'll nullify too many things? Okay, no, I'm not. But secondly, I'm afraid they won't nullify enough. enough. And I mean, I, I guess I'll just have to miss out on all the wonderful benefits that are coming out of Washington D.C. today. We've got to take one more break here on Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. More with Dr. Woods right after this. There is talk 
among in some quarters about an Article Five Constitutional Convention. Yeah. What are your feeling about that? I'm kind of in the middle on that, to be honest with you. I used to be 100% against it because my view was twofold. One, if they don't obey the Constitution now, what makes you think they're going to obey the amendment? Because it would be an amendments convention. What makes you think they're going to obey your amendments? And then the second thing was, I'm afraid of what will come out of it, right? I mean, we we'll get some you know, communist manifesto or something coming out of it. Who knows, right? It's entirely possible. Then, Given the media the way it is today. Yeah, that's true. And the lack of intelligence in general of the population. Right, which is why I think population. what's more likely is that if you did get it, you would be more disappointed than horrified in the results. I think it would be more of a, it would wind up being a non-event. So my thinking now is, first of all, yeah, if, if, you're, if your amendments convention is just going to be amendments saying, okay, general welfare really means they can get around that. They, they got around it originally. They'll get around that. But if it's a structural change, like if it says uh, if two-thirds of the states vote that a law is unconstitutional, it's automatically repealed, well, that's a structural change that they can't ignore. That's sitting there, right? That, I, that would be a step forward. I would, I would support if that amendment got passed. Now, that doesn't have to be passed through an Article Five convention. You could pass it the more customary way. So I think that would be beneficial. But the other thing is, well, what is it that I would be afraid of coming out of a, an amendments convention? Would I be afraid that we would suddenly now get a constitution where the Congress can legislate on anything it wants and the president can just commit troops anywhere in the world he wants and the Supreme Court can just run roughshod everything? Well, you know what? We already have that. <laughs> why would I be afraid of that? That's the world we already have. So that's why I'm, I'm not so sure there's so much to be afraid of. Anything you're afraid of, we're already there. So that's why I'm not as worried about it as I used to be. I don't really share your lack of concern. Uh, well, I mean, it's less you know. concern. It's less concern than I used to have, just because I, I feel like things are so bad now. Well, we have definitely departed enormously from the Constitution, and it's been a willful departure by a federal government that is absolutely bent on amassing power, and they've done it in the most... Um, underhanded ways. They've made people dependent upon the government. Yeah. They've divided the country. Um, they really have created a situation in which it's hard for them to lose. Well, this is why I think it's so naive for people to look at some government program and say, what a failure this government program is. Look, all it's resulted in is, is dependency or this or that. Yeah, that means it's a success for them. Right. If it's a success because it increases their power, their influence. It, it saps the independence of the general public. This is what every, ever since Bismarck began the welfare state in Germany, that's the point. That's not some unfortunate after effect, and if only we could tweak the program some way. That's the point. That's why they do it. You know, the credo of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is the right to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Isn't that really what the... I can sign on with it for that. You yeah. can sign on? Yeah. Isn't that really what the Constitution is about? Protecting your right. Sovereign, your sovereign right is your right to own your land, your home, your possessions, the works of your hand, the works of your brain, and your life itself. Right. You're securing those things from federal incursions. And then from the point of view of the state government, well, it's your responsibility as a citizen of that state to keep an eye on your state government, too. But, 
but sure, I mean, there is a, there is a, I think it's important just to remember the point of any constitution, a point of a written constitution. People think that we have a written constitution so we'll know how long the president will serve or how long a, Senate's, a senator's term is. But the British have all those things, and they don't have a written constitution. The only reason to have a written constitution is to limit the government, precisely as you said. That's it. You don't need it because there are, there are countries with, without written constitutions where they know exactly how the government's going to be set up. They just, do it, they just pursue the traditional way, and they just keep on with it. The Constitution is only there for the purpose of limiting government. And if it isn't serving that purpose, then it's redundant and nugatory and ridiculous. A lot of people who are nullification uh, deniers always cite the supremacy, supremacy clause. Yeah. Why is that? Okay, they cite it. Uh, you, you can find it in Article 6. They'll cite it because they think they think this is the home run argument against nullification. But right off the bat, even before knowing what the supremacy clause is, what's the likelihood that Jefferson and Madison were unaware of the supremacy clause? Right? I mean, they're the architects of this whole idea. Well, the supremacy clause, if I may paraphrase it, basically says that this Constitution, uh, plus laws that are made in pursuance of the Constitution, shall be the supreme law of the land, and any state law to the contrary notwithstanding. Well, uh, nobody who favors nullification denies that principle. What we do deny is the law professor variant of the Supremacy Clause, which reads, this Constitution, plus laws which shall be made in pursuance thereof, plus any old laws we might want to impose. Constitutional you know, Constitutional or not, should be the supreme law of the land. Obviously, it's not what it says. No one in his right mind would have ratified a document that said that, and then also we have testimonies, and I put these up. You can get the exact quotes at nullificationfaq.com in the Supremacy Clause section. I quote even Alexander Hamilton, who you would think would be inclined to favor a very, very rigorous, strong interpretation of the Supremacy Clause. And he said, the federal government is supreme. It's true. He says, but we have expressly included in there, this is right in the Federalist Papers, We've expressly included in there a limit to that supremacy. Namely, it is supreme only as far as its constitutional power authorizes, and it is not supreme beyond that point. That's what we're saying. So we're saying that to cite the Supremacy Clause begs the question. Citing the Supremacy Clause is, is saying to us, well, look, uh, you can't nullify because a, a constitutional law is the supreme law of the land. Yeah, we know that. But this law is not constitutional, so therefore it, the Supremacy Clause is totally irrelevant, doesn't apply here. So now we've got to get into the merits of the question. And in addition to that, you're still allowing a party to the compact, namely the Supreme Court, to determine constitutionality, exactly. which in, in itself is a flawed situation. Exactly. Couldn't have said it better. Well, listen... Is we better start nullifying a whole bunch of stuff right yeah. now. All right, that'd be super. Dr. Tom Woods, thank you very, very much for being on Freedom Forum Radio. Dr. Dan, my pleasure. Thank you. America is at a turning point for freedom. Will she continue to be a shining example of individual liberty, or will humanity face centuries of oppression and tyranny. This is Dr. Dan. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, 
www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The rights to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. 